it was a long and thorough process when we found all our assistant coaches. But the thing that we were looking for with these guys was, first of all, just being excellent communicators, passionate about the game of football, and above all, I would say just being high-character individuals. That was what really is most important to me because I think that's what you win. You win with people. Way back. Get up. Get out of here. Go. Rainbows high and deep. Touchdown, Wisconsin. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. It's officially official for the umpteenth time. Matt LaFleur speaking uh, to the media earlier this week and actually introducing some of the members of his coaching staff. Fresh faces and some faces that he has retained. We'll get to hear from... A little bit, at least from all of the coaches that he hired. I sat down, uh, watched the press conference earlier this week, but sat down and said, all right, what do we really need to take away from this? Because let's remember, a press conference is a lot of pomp and circumstance. It's a lot of fanfare for the media and for the Packers PR. What do we actually need to know? Let's get down to brass tacks here on the Wisco Sports Show on WKTY. That's that's what it really comes down to. I really don't care. Like Matt LaFleur talked about, you know, my brother coached for Mike Pettin at this time and place and it's like all right that's a great story that's a cool story and the Packers are going to love that you know Mike Spafford might be able to write an article about that throw that up on the website that's great PR how is this going to affect the Packers in terms of winning games losing games because that's really what we care about and a press conference it only gives us a little bit there's only little tidbits here and there when you think wow okay that's that's good I want to hear more about that or or, wow that that made a lot of sense I never thought of it that way that's about five five percent of every press conference so I did you the favor of taking about uh, about a half hour, 45 minutes worth of Mike Pettin, worth of uh, Matt LaFleur, and Nathaniel Hackett, and I put it in a pot and I boiled it down to the stuff that you actually care about and the stuff that you actually need to know. So that's what we're going to get to. You can join in on the conversation at 608-796-2558. Here on the 5 Star Telecom Talk and Text Line, Twitter's wide open, at Keystroker Grant. That's my account. You can find us at WKTY. We're also going to get to some Brewers talk today. I'm I'm. I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. I saw Bill Michaels, Radio Joe, talking about this earlier this afternoon, and I thought it was brilliant. So we're going to continue a conversation that they got rolling this afternoon, that coming up at about 5.30. Maybe it's the NBA All-Star break. Maybe it's this constant snow that we're getting, and it's finally starting to get to me. But I just, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to talk Packers today, which is something that I haven't been juiced up to do the last couple of weeks. I've been, we've been so focused on how good the Bucks have been playing and the the constant struggle that the Badgers are and, and trying to break down exactly what it is that makes Greg Gard and, and the Badgers tick and then Marquette's playing well. Let's, let's get back to our roots here. Let's get back to some green and gold. Uh, let's talk about the Packers here on the Wisco Sports Show. Before we get to the actual press conference, I want to make a couple of points. I want to kind of set the table, if you will, because if we just start listening to Matt LaFleur ramble, I, what are we going to get out of it? I want to get something out of it. A couple things we have to remember. We have not seen Matt LaFleur coach any football as a head coach in Green Bay, specifically, or or anywhere. Matt, Matt LaFleur is in an interesting position of being a first-time NFL head coach. Now, as Green Bay Packers fans, we've kind of been down these this road before with Mike McCarthy about 10 years ago, a little bit more than 10 years ago, I should say. But typically, you don't have a whole lot of first-time NFL head coaches being hired in one particular cycle. Now, this year was a little bit different. 
a little bit of an anomaly this year. A lot of first-time NFL head coaches. So we have not seen Matt LaFleur not only coach in Green Bay, but not be a head coach, period. So when we are discussing and talking about Matt LaFleur and what strategies he wants to implement and, and what his scheme might be, and we listen to his his overarching thoughts on how the culture of the team should be run and what kind of coaches he want alongside him, the only thing that we have to compare it to was about three months ago with Mike McCarthy. That That's what this is boiling down to, right? And fair or unfair, immediately Matt LaFleur is going to come in and coach his first game. Probably, you know what, even before he coaches his first game. When training camp starts, when things really start getting going in August, when we are starving for some football, right? The only thing that we're going to have to compare Matt LaFleur to, fair or unfair, you can decide, is Mike McCarthy. Is he going to be better than the Packers were last year? Is the chemistry between the head coach, now Matt LaFleur, and Aaron Rodgers better than it was a year ago? Coming up, obviously, when we start talking about training camp. As of right now, is the relationship between Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur better than it was with Mike McCarthy? Because that's all we have to compare it to, right? Will their offense be more creative? Will they be doing different things? Will they be utilizing players in interesting and creative ways? The only thing we're going to have to compare it to is Mike McCarthy last season. Right? So we have to keep that in mind. We don't exactly have a great comparison point for Matt LaFleur other than Mike McCarthy. Lucky for us and lucky for Packers fans who want to see this team improve. Just win some games. Get some excitement back in the Lambeau field. And at least start to begin to approach a playoff berth, you're going to be doing better than last year if you're Matt LaFleur, right? Because comparing him to Mike McCarthy of last year, I think Matt LaFleur hopefully is going to bode pretty well. But we have to keep that in mind, right? Matt LaFleur could be doing great things. He could be cooking up some unique formations, finding ways to utilize running backs in the passing game, which is something that we've looked for, wanting and finding ways to utilize tight ends, especially down the middle of the field, which is something that Mike McCarthy wasn't able to do for whatever reason. Malafleur could come in and do all of those things, but he's not going to get credit for it. We're not going to talk about that unless the Packers start winning. Because let's be honest, Mike McCarthy was not fired for a lack of creativity. He was not fired for a lack of tight end production or running game consistency. He was fired because the Packers couldn't win games, plain and simple. So all of this is great. All of this chalk talk, the X's and O's and the culture and what kind of leader of men do you want in 1265 Lombardi? That's all great and that's all fun to talk about right now. But ultimately, when we get down to brass tacks, is Matt LaFleur going to win games that Mike McCarthy couldn't? Because that's all we have to compare it to. All we have to go off of. We are not going to look at Mike Zimmer. We're not going to look at Matt Nagy. We're not going to look at Matt Patricia. We're not looking around the division Say, well, is Matt LaFleur finding a, and utilizing the run game better than Matt Patricia? Or is, is he finding ways to get his wide receivers open, uh, unlike the Vikings? Or is he doing a great job at, at utilizing a screen game and bringing wide receivers out of the backfield? He's doing that better than Matt Nagy. That would be great. But we're not going to focus on that. We're not going to talk about it because, let's remember, our only metric, our only measuring stick for Matt LaFleur is, will the team be better than it was three or four months ago when Mike McCarthy was let go? That's all. That's what it comes down to. So when we start to sift through some of these good sound bites and some of the little nuggets that Lafleur and Petten and and all the sound bites that they gave us from this week's press conference, we need to keep that in mind, right? You can use some fancy language. You know, you can say all the right things, but if you don't win games, that Mike McCarthy couldn't as well, and you don't improve, and the Packers don't get closer and closer, if not back in the playoffs this year, this is all going to go out the window real quick because ultimately that's our measuring stick. That is our metric, right? Will Matt LaFleur make the Packers better than they were three months ago when Mike McCarthy was fired? 
That's what it comes down to. The 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 te- or the uh, the playbook and the culture and the relationship with his players. That's all great. But the window's closing on Aaron Rodgers. We already feel as though they probably waited too long to fire Ted Thompson and probably waited too long to fire Mike McCarthy. TikTok. I mean, I'm I'm hitting my arm. I'm hitting my watch right here. We don't have a lot of time to mess around and take moral victories where some teams might be able to. Packers don't have that luxury right now. So if he doesn't start winning games and win games in ways that Mike McCarthy didn't, we're not going to care. It's not going to matter. Plain and simple. 608-796-2558. Shoot me a text on the five-star telecom talking text line. When we come back, first of all, like I said, we're going to get into some Brewers talk soon enough. So if you're like, man, the Packers aren't doing it for me right now. I got other things in my mind. Don't worry because we're going to transition to Brewers as well. But I do want to hear from Matt LaFleur. I do want to hear from Mike Pettin. I did you a great service. I sat down and watched about an hour's worth of press conference, and I boiled it down to a couple little nuggets here and there that I thought are really useful and that we can talk about coming up next when the Wisco Sports Show returns with me, your host, Grant Bills, right here on WKTY. Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for hopping aboard and hanging out. Hope you're having a good night. We're getting things started talking about the Green Bay Packers tonight. It's been a while, right? We've been so preoccupied with the Bucks, and I've had a blast talking about the Bucks. I'm not here to hate on the Bucks today. We're talking about the Brewers and, and Moustakis and Grandal, and we'll get to the Brewers coming up here in about 10 or 12 minutes. But right now, my mind's on the green and gold. 608-796-2558. Matt LaFleur had a chance to speak with the media earlier this week. Answer some questions, but the biggest part of it was now we finally have our coaching staff assembled. Let's introduce these guys. Matt LaFleur is going to answer questions on why exactly he picked Mike Patton or Nathaniel Hackett or Sean Menenga, right? So that that's another reason for this press conference. And I always say... Press conferences, 90% of what's said in a press conference is for the media, it's pomp and circumstance, it's for PR, right? It's nothing that we really can take and chew on and and learn from. But there's always that 5, that 10% of things where you hear and you're like, wow, I I just learned something. Or wow, maybe that gives us a little insight into what this upcoming Packers season will look like. And I did my due diligence, watched it all, boiled it down to the stuff that really matters. So let's get into it. We're going to hear from Mike Pettin in a couple of minutes, but right now, a couple little nuggets from Matt LaFleur, okay? Matt LaFleur was asked about a lot of things, obviously, about why'd you hire this coach? Uh, what, what did you see in this guy? And number one, the biggest question, obviously, was why Mike Pettin? A lot of times when head coaches come in, whatever their situation may be, they like to bring their own guys. So what exactly drew you to Mike Pettin? Matt LaFleur wasn't exactly short for words on this particular subject. When you look at Mike Pettin, there's been a history. I've gone against his defenses before. I think they present a lot of challenges for offenses. Um, And then the fact that he's been a head coach and has sat in the seat, it really affords you an opportunity to, to... bounce ideas off of him. Um, you know, my brother worked for him in Cleveland. Uh, has a lot of respect for him. And just the guys I trust in this business all have great things to say about Mike Pettin. And I just think that continuity going into year two of, for, for the defense is going to be it's going to be critical because I think you'll see there's always a learning curve in year one. And just I'm excited to see what, what the defense can do in year two moving forward. Okay. 
So I talk about press conferences, right? 90% of it is stuff that is just filler. And that that pertains to this particular 44-second clip as, as well, okay? So the things that I don't care about. He says, I've gone against his defense before. You know, he, he's tough to go against. Okay, you could say that about 90% of the defensive coordinators in the league, right? They all know defense. They all know how to orchestrate a game plan on defense. I Okay, that was filler to me. The next part, you know, LaFleur talking about how his brother worked for him in Cleveland. That was, all right, that was a cool story. That's a cool tidbit. The Packers might be able to do something with that, but I don't need to know that. Two things in this particular soundbite that I was really interested in. Number one, and something that we probably suspected all along was, he's a dude who's been a head coach before. LaFleur, I believe, said he has sat in this chair before. He's been in this place, and, and that affords me the opportunity to bounce ideas off him, to ask him questions, right? That's big time. That I care about. And and like I said, something that we've talked about on the show before and something that we've kind of expected or suspected all along is that, yeah, it's nice to have a former head coach in the building. Like, like if I'm starting a job for the first time, I want somebody experienced next to me to kind of help with those growing pains, at least until I get my feet under me. Then that's not necessarily as important anymore. Point number two that I was really interested in, and he was talking towards the end, is continuity for the defense. And this is something, once again, that we had kind of suspected all along. They go from Dom Capers to Mike Pettin in the course of a year. What you don't want to do is turn around and then go Mike Pettin to Mr. XYZ or Mrs. XYZ the next year, right? That's tough on a defense. And Mike Pettin's going to specifically talk about that. We'll hear about that coming up in a couple of minutes. But two things from that soundbite. It was 45 seconds long. Half of it was crap that I didn't care about. <laughs> like, not to, not to be mean to Valafleur, right? But I only have so much time in my day. I'm not sitting down and watching an hour's worth of press conference to hear a bunch of filler. Two things that I did care about. He's been a head coach before. He's gonna, That's going to allow me to bounce ideas off of him, right? To maybe ask for some advice when I go through the growing pains and the learning curve of my first year as being a head coach. That's important. Point number one we need to remember. And point number two, continuity was in the back of his mind. We've asked our defensive personnel to go through a lot the last couple of years, changing from Dom Capers to Mike Pettin. We didn't necessarily think it was the best idea to force that upon them again. So continuity in the back of Matt LaFleur's mind. And both things that Mike Patton talked about, and we're going to hear from Mike Patton, like I said, coming up in a little bit. Naturally, one of the biggest questions, one of the biggest topics that was posed to Matt LaFleur is you have hired a really young staff. It really is a shakeup from Mike McCarthy, who two years ago, let's, let's think about his staff, right? It was Mike McCarthy, who is a seasoned veteran. I mean, he said, highly successful NFL coach, right? He'd been around the block a while including winning a Super Bowl. His right-hand man was Dom Capers. Right? He's, he's, he looks like being a John Wayne movie. All right, He's not exactly a fresh, energetic guy who, who you could picture on the sideline fist-bumping and yelling and getting in guys' face. Not saying that's necessary to be a coach, right? But it, different personality. A little bit older, a little more seasoned. And then Ron Zook, who has been around the coaching block like no other at the college and the professional level, and just said, yeah, what the hell, I can be a special teams coach. I like Mike. I'll work on his staff wherever I can find a spot. A big change up from now, you go to Matt LaFleur, who is very young and a first-time head coach, who's going to be assisted by Nathaniel Hackett, who's very young, very energetic, very quick-spoken, unlike some of Mike McCarthy and his henchmen. And then Sean Menenga, who's on the younger end as well. So naturally, the reporters, and doing a good job, are asking, what is the advantage to a young staff? And luckily, I think Mike Pettin might be the elixir, the straw that stirs this drink, right? The elixir that, that makes it all work. They have him to lean on. Not only an experienced older coach, but a guy who has been a head coach as well, as you just heard LaFleur say. But let's cast the disadvantages aside to being a young coaching staff. What are the advantages? What do you like? Matt LaFleur about having a staff that is mostly filled out with younger bodies. I think we're going to bring a lot of energy every day and I think we'll be able to uh, connect and reach our players and 
that's what I'm most excited about. I think, again, I think they're all great, high-character guys. They're, you're you're going to get to know these guys. You will not see egos. Um, and these guys are going to roll up their sleeves and get to work. And I think our, our players will appreciate that, and they'll be excited with with when they get to meet these guys moving forward. Once again, it's sifting through what matters in that answer, right? We have a young, lot of young guys who are going to bring a lot of energy. Okay, energy by itself doesn't constitute a great coach. Energy does not lead to winning. There's a lot of energetic coaches who are just powder kegs on the sideline. Look at Todd Haley, for example. It doesn't always work. Energy does not lead to success on the field. But what he did say is, I think these guys are going to connect with my players. I think their personal makeup and energy goes into that is going to lead into connecting with the players, which is the ultimate goal, right? And then he goes on and he says a couple of cliches. Well, they're, they're going to get right to work. They're going to roll up their sleeves. Blah, 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 blah. I don't need to hear that. And then he says, and I think our players are really going to appreciate that. And that matters. They want to connect with the players through high energy uh, guys on their coaching staff. They can be high energy, low energy. However you think you can connect with players, that's great. And Matt LaFleur seems to be confident that high energy, young guys is the way to do that. Perfect. Two thumbs up from me. And then, once again, talking about, well, my guys are going to roll up their sleeves and get to work. Well, I hope any guy who's hired as a coordinator or coach in the NFL would do the same. But Matt LaFleur is saying, I I think these particular guys, when you put the energy together and their willingness to get to work, the players are going to respond to that. They're going to respect that, and it's just going to be another way to connect players to coaches, which is something that there maybe would have been a disconnect near the end of the McCarthy tenure, especially between Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy. And we know all past that relationship, everything trickles down. Once again, it's sifting through what matters in these answers. you got to listen with a trained ear. Now, there are three coaches on this offensive staff, not only young bodies, but there's going to be three offensive guys working with Aaron Rodgers, all of which have quarterback background. Matt LaFleur, Luke Getze, who's the new quarterback coach, and Nathaniel Hackett, the new offensive coordinator. And they asked LaFleur about that dynamic a little bit. you got three guys with, with quarterback backgrounds. Now, more knowledge is always better. Right, but how is that knowledge implemented and executed? Because there is such a thing as, we hear it all the time, too many cooks in the kitchen. So Matt LaFleur was asked about, what's it going to be like? What's that dynamic going to be like? And how's it going to work with three quarterback background guys working in the same offense and working around Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, I think it's it's great. We've got three quarterback guys that are going to be hitting them from all angles. But uh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my part. I, I know I need to be in that room, especially... Uh, as much as I possibly can, because I am going to be the play caller. I think that relationship between the play caller and the quarterback is absolutely critical. Um, so I will be in there as, as as much as I can. I don't I don't foresee ever missing a quarterback meeting. Once again, you're going to pick the spots in that little answer that matters. You know, he's talking about, well, you know, it's going to be great. We had quarterback guys. We're going to be firing at him from all angles. Well, that's great. But once again. More knowledge is always better, but it's how you implement. It's how you execute that knowledge. Because otherwise, you just got too many hands in the kitchen, and you reach a point where more bodies in a group or on a team isn't always better. I liked that he was talking about uh, not only do we have three guys who have quarterback backgrounds, but I'm going to be the play caller. So I need to have that relationship with Aaron Rodgers. And I think that's probably what we saw splinter with Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers down the end. Now, if Mike McCarthy was the head coach, and he was a defensive-minded head coach, well, now all of a sudden that relationship isn't as important, right? The, the real relationship with Aaron Rodgers matters with his play caller. Who is he communicating with on a snap-in and snap-out basis to try to execute an offense and put points on the board? And I think Matt LaFleur probably and hopefully realizes that that relationship is of the utmost importance because those guys are going to be working hand-in-hand to try to accomplish the same goal.
Now, if LaFleur thinks the best way to to make that connection, and I would tend to agree, is him being in quarterback meetings and being a part of all of the work that goes on with Hackett and Getze alongside Aaron Rodgers, then more power to him, and I tend to agree. Now, we won't know. We'll have to see it play out. But I would tend to agree that that's probably the way to go. Uh, He did introduce Mike Penn. Like I said, the whole point of this press conference was essentially to introduce for the first time his members of his assistant coaching staff. So you have your coordinators and Nathaniel Hackett and Sean Menenga, and of course, those are the two new hires, offense and special teams, and then your defensive coordinator, your stalwart, Mike Pettin, who I think is is really going to be uh, the stalwart, the, the, the man that everything else revolves around. He's going to be the center, at least, for this new year. I think he's going to get asked a lot of questions. People are going to lean on him. They were asking him about his defense, and, and there's a nugget in here that I absolutely love. And when we listen to the this whole bit, so this is Mike Patton, just basically ask, what are your expectations? What, what do you see your defense doing this year? It's 45 seconds long, and I'll tell you right now, there's a six-second clip in here that just jumps off the page. It just it will jump out of the speaker into your ear. And I, and I bet you'll pick it out as well. I want to talk about that and everything else that Mike Patton says. What does he expect from his defense? When you look at Mike Patton... Oops, that's there, LaFleur. We already heard that. Mike Patton on his vision for his defense. Excuse me. Uh, take a big jump. I mean, I, we, we spent a lot of time last year uh, with, with you know, having to shuffle in a lot, of, a lot of different players. In year one of a system, it's really hard to get into the, to the graduate-level details of the jobs. So kind of going through the, the end-of-the-year cut-ups, and, and you come to the realization we spent so much more time last year on, on coaching players on, on what to do and not enough time on how to do it. And, and that's usually typical of a, of a year one. So we're just looking forward to having guys that are experienced in the system. Uh, I think we have a much better sense of of who we are and and, and what our skill set is and, and what we want to get done. So the, the nice thing is you just you don't reset it back to year one. I mean you have you have you know, a little bit of momentum, but in, and you've built a pretty solid foundation with um, you know with the guys that you're going to have back. I love listening to Mike Petten speak. He is so calm. He delivers his information. Concisely, there's not a lot of ums and ahs. Like maybe I think Lafleur's got a little bit of nerve still up on the podium. And there's one thing that jumped out. I bet you heard it as well. There's one piece of this answer that jumps out. Mike Patton asked, "What do you expect for your second year here in Green Bay?" And he says, "I expect a big jump." And and basically, you could take that whole chunk down and you could boil it to this eight and a half second clip. And I will replay this for you. This is what really jumped out to me. You come to the realization we spent so much more time last year on on coaching players on on what to do and not enough time on how to do it. That is brilliant. That's fantastic. That was, of all of the answers from Lafleur and Menenga and Hackett and Patton, that was the eight seconds that made it all worth it for me because that makes so much sense. You have to believe in that continuity. We were teaching guys what to do and not enough of how to do it. I don't, I try not to compare sports to real life because they're separate. Like, like sports is entertainment. Sports is not being a salesman. Sports is not being a delivery truck driver or a doctor. There's, it, it's not comparable to real life. So I really try to pick my spots when I compare sports to uh, an everyday job. But like just my job right here. When you're trained to work at a radio station, there's a lot of things you got to learn. I got to learn how to work the phone over here. I don't do the show with a producer. So everything that you hear, that I'm, I'm responsible for that. So if I, if I make a mistake, 100% that's on me, right? I have nobody to blame it on. Running the soundboard in front of me, playing things like the sound bites you just heard or the music or the commercials. Over to my right, we have the phone and taking your calls and taking your text and checking Twitter during the show. There's a lot going on. And when I begin working and anybody begins working in radio, you have to learn what to do. 
right? You have to learn how to turn a commercial on or turn it down, to play music, stop the music, turn the mic on, move the mic around. Once that, once you figure all of that out, then it's just about doing a show. Then it's not what you're doing, it's how you're doing it. Because I, I sit here right now, I'm comfortable doing all of those mechanical and physical things we just talked about. Now it's just about me talking and having a, sp- a sports conversation with you. Much like on Mike Patton's defense last year, uh, for example, let's pick any player. Let's pick Blake Martinez. He, in the back of his mind, he's like, okay, uh, okay, well, Dom would have had me line up here. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm outside or I got to drop back or, or I got to be down in this position. All right, and, and now all of a sudden the play is starting. Well, in year two, where to be and what to do, that's second nature. All right, we're running this play. Bam, I go right there. Now Blake Martinez is in position, and all of his his energy, all of his thoughts can can be reading the offense. He can now just play. He can do his job. And I, and that that chunk stood out to me. That gives me hope, right? Where the Packers' future is uncertain, that was like, man, I'm glad Mike Patton's a coach on this Packers coaching staff. So that's just a little glimpse of what went down this week. Matt LaFleur introducing all the members of his new coaching staff. And I should say edition of the staff 2.0 for Mike Patton because he was retained. There's new bodies. So it's a little mix of everything. We got to hear from all the coaches. That's what I thought was important. That's what I boiled down and took away from it. Uh, And it's nice to be able to talk some Green Bay Packers in February. We haven't been able to do it a lot, especially as we start to approach draft time. Then we can really talk about it. We're also approaching spring training. Well, spring training is underway. We're approaching baseball season. And this, the intrigue and the excitement around the 2019 Brewers, I think, is just about as high as it's been in my lifetime. And for good reason. Bill Michaels and Radio Joe today, which you would have heard right here on WKTY in the afternoon, uh, 11 to 2. You can hear them every day. They had a topic and a question that I saw on Twitter, and I was like, that's brilliant. I want to continue that. So I'm up front. I'm stealing this. But I don't think you're going to mind because this is a really cool topic, especially regarding opening day for the Milwaukee Brewers, which is just coming closer and closer by the day. Brewers talk coming up next. Here's the Wisco Sports Show rolls on with me, your host, Grant Bills on WKTY. Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY 96.7 FM, 580 AM, or streaming live at WKTYsports.com and on our mobile app. Just wrapped up talking about some Green Bay Packers. A reminder, I understand maybe your drive home isn't that short or you only have a couple of minutes to tune every night. That is just fine. We're busy people. I get you. Don't worry. But at WKTYsports.com, you can catch up with all of our shows in podcast form. Just click on the podcast tab at WKTYsports.com so you don't have to miss out on the Packers talk, even if you're tuning in a little bit late, or maybe you got to tune out. I'm sorry to hear that. You're going to miss out on this amazing Brewers talk we're just about to have. You can catch up there at WKTYsports.com. I have no shame, uh, and I I am not embarrassed to admit it. I am stealing something from the Bill Michaels show this afternoon because I thought it was really fun. I thought it was a great idea. This is what they did. So this is the Brewers' opening day lineup, uh, as, as we would guess right now. Lorenzo Cain, Christian Yelich, Ryan Braun, Jesus Aguilar, Travis Shaw, Yasmani Grandal, Mike Moustakis, and Orlando Arcia. And you might think that's a really good lineup. It is. It is a tremendous lineup. Cain in center, Yelich in right, Braun in left, so there's your outfield. Aguilar at first, Travis Shaw at third base, Moustakis at second, and then of course Grandal catching and Orlando Arcia at shortstop. Now this of course doesn't include the nine spot, it doesn't include the pitcher, but let's just leave that out of the equation for now. Because we don't know who the Brewers' opening day starter is going to be. 
We can draw conclusions. We can speculate. We can guess. But we don't really know. I think outside of another move happening or an injury happening, knock on wood, that's probably your first eight spots on opening day here in a couple of months. So I pose the question, and this is the question that Bill Michaels asked this afternoon. I'm absolutely, without shame, <laughs> ripping off Bill Michaels, who you hear every day on WKTY 11-2. to Is this the best Brewer lineup ever on opening day? And now, I'm 21 years old, assumed to be 21. I should say I'm still 20. So I haven't seen as many Brewers teams, but let's be real, in between 1982 when the Brewers were tremendous, and like 2008, I feel like there's not a whole lot that I missed out on. And if you feel otherwise, you can let me know. I did pull up some of the opening day rosters and the lineups uh, for the last couple of years, and we can go look at that and we can compare. But I ask you, at least in recent memory for sure, is this the best Brewers opening day lineup that you have ever seen? Lorenzo Cain, Christian Yelich, Ryan Braun, Jesus Aguilar, Travis Shaw, Yasmani Grandal, Mike Moustakis, and Orlando Arcia. The fact that Mike Moustakis could possibly be hitting seven is just absurd to me. That That's what's maybe most amazing of it all, and I guess that's probably the trademark of a really good lineup, is you have a, a guy, and you say, he's hitting where? He's that far down the lineup? And then you start to look at it, and you're like, oh, I guess it makes sense. Holy balls. That's a good roster. It is. It's a tremendous roster. 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talk and text line. I know we got some big Brewers fans who are just dying to talk about this team because we're all dying for spring training to get underway. We're all dying for the regular season to get underway. So you can hit me up there on the five-star telecom talk and text line or on Twitter, either at WKTY or at Keystroker Grant. Both will do the trick. First thing I did was, the best Brewers team in recent memory, certainly, was 2011. Now, we can count last year. Well, let's start with last year. Let's do that, because I think it's interesting. So, catcher, you had Manny Pena. Ryan Braun was at first base. Jonathan VR was at second. Travis Shaw at third. Arcia is at shortstop, so that remains. And Yelich and Kane were in center and in left. The only things that changed from this year to last year are going to be catcher, assumedly. First base, although Braun's still in the lineup. Second base and right field. So you scoop Braun out of first base into right field. You kick Santana out of there. You put Aguilar at first base. You put Yasmani Grandal at catcher. And at shortstop, you still have Orlando Arcia. So Mike Moustakis, assumedly, is going to go into second. I mean, you have to say the Brewers lineup is better this year, right? And once again, this is excluding pitchers. I would take Yasmani Grandal over Manny Pena. No offense to Manny Pena, right? I would take Mike Moustakis over Jonathan VR, given the circumstances, although I do really like Jonathan VR. And I would take Ryan Braun over Domingo Santana in right field, because that's essentially what you're you're picking, right? Right field for right field, or left field for left field, in this case. I'd rather have Brian Shaw, or not Brian Shaw, Ryan Braun than Domingo Santana. It's just plain and simple. I think the Brewers have improved definitely from last year's lineup. Because they found themselves in a position where they were able to move Ryan Braun into the outfield full-time, because of the success of Jesus Aguilar, they trade Jonathan Villar, they move Shaw over there, and then they bring in Mike Moustakis. That's a pretty good upgrade, especially given that last year's team, the team that you are upgrading, was one game away from the World Series. Now, I know that's not exactly what the, the roster looked like, the lineup looked like, but that team was one game away from the World Series. You can't just discount that. Now, before that, I would say the best team to that point was probably the 2011 Brewers. And their opening day started, it was interesting because it's it's like a step back in time for me. There's this, this period of Brewers baseball, I would say between 2013 and 2016, where we were watching, 
we were enjoying, we were talking about this team, but we weren't all in on some of these players. So it, like some of these players are, are no longer in our mind. Like we knew at the time that they weren't the long-term answer. So we enjoyed it, but but we they're maybe not ingrained in our memory. So let's go back to 2011, the last time the Brewers were very, very good. Once again, a series away from the World Series. More than one game away, but it was damn close. Starting a catcher was Will Nieves. Nieves. I almost, Juan Nieves, really? No. Will Nieves. That was your starting catcher in 2011. First base was Prince Fielder, who, heck yeah. Ricky Weeks at second base. Third base was Casey McGee, who was a beast. He was better before 2011, but I'm not discounting how good Casey McGee was. Unieski Betancourt was the shortstop. Ryan Braun in left. Carlos Gomez in center. And Mark Kotze. Anybody remember Mark Kotze? How could you forget about him? Let's get a round of applause for Mark Kotze starting in right field. Hell yeah. Bill Michaels is in here. We'd get a big, how are we looking? For Mark Kotze in right field. So let's do it. Let's go player by player. I mean, I would definitely rather have Yasmani Grandal than Will Nieves. Now, peak 2011 Prince Fielder, I would take over Jesus Aguilar. I would take Travis Shaw over Ricky Weeks, defense or no defense. I would just prefer that if I'm being honest. Now, Casey McGee, as great as he was in stretches, I think Mike Moustakis is going to go down as the better player overall, especially when you factor in his entire career. Now, if you want to argue about Aramis Ramirez the next couple of years, that's an interesting debate. I think I would rather have Mike Moustakis than Casey McGee. Unieski Betancourt at shortstop, I would much rather have Orlando Arcia's defense. Uh, and if he continues to hit the ball like we saw at the end of last season, I, I think he can be a hell of a player, much better than Unieski Betancourt. I will give him a shout-out for that behind-the-back glove flip double play that he had. Remember that? Oh. Man, I know we're kind of ripping this 2011 roster to shreds right now, but I had so much fun watching that team. I do love Carlos Gomez, but if I got to go to war with anybody, especially in the postseason, I'm going to do it with Lorenzo Cain. Ryan Braun was in left field, so let's just, let's say for the sake of this argument that Mark Kotze was playing left, Ryan Braun was playing right. I would take Christian Yelich over Mark Kotze, and Ryan Braun I would still keep in left field. So there you go. On this entire roster, the only player that I would probably take from the 2011 opening day roster over somebody from this assumedly upcoming season, it's probably Prince Fielder at first base. And Jesus Aguilar, at least what we saw last year, and I'm totally not sold that that's the player that he's going to be for the next couple of years for the Brewers. He's no slouch either. It's not like Prince Fielder blows him out of the water. I would, yeah, I'd prefer Travis Shaw to Ricky Weeks. I'd prefer Mike Moustakis to Casey McGee. I'll take RC over Betancourt. And I'll take Lorenzo Cain over Carlos Gomez in center field. That's not because I don't think Gomez wasn't a great player. I loved Carlos Gomez and what he provided to a Brewers team that needed that guy. They needed the energy, right? But if you're trying to win playoff games and you need a dude who is locked in, you need a dude who's been there before and you can trust a little bit with some level of consistency, I'll take Carlos Gomez. And I certainly will take Christian Yelich over Mark Kotze. I thought that goes without saying. I just want to get that out there. I want to get that on air. So we, so we know that moving forward. Is this going to be the best Brewers opening day lineup ever? Lorenzo Cain, Christian Yelich, Ryan Braun, Jesus Aguilar, Travis Shaw, Yasmani Grandal. Oh, you forget about Yasmani Grandal. Mike Moustakis on Orlando Arcia. I'm only 20. I need some help from more seasoned listeners. I know you're out there. 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom. Talk and text line. Hit me up before we run out of time. The final segment of the Wisco Sports Show is coming up next here on WKTY. Some athletes glide over the ice executing full.
Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY, but it's far from the end of the action tonight. Drew Kelly is going to be at Mitchell Hall tonight. The UWL women taking on Stevens Point. Is that why ACT Tournament gets underway? Then the men's will be tomorrow night. We'll also have that game. No worries, we got you. However you're listening right now, that'll do the trick come tip-off. Drew Kelly will be getting underway at around 7 from Mitchell Hall. I also want to pass news along, uh, and Dave and Scrady, I think, talked about this this morning. If not, they'll certainly be on it tomorrow morning. Uh, students, we got listening to WKTY, UWL students, listen up, Eagles. Uh, the men's team is buying the first 100 tickets tonight. It's on the house. Because you cannot get in free with a student ID at playoff games or tournament games, uh, the men's basketball team is fronting the cost for the first 100 tickets. So the first 100 people, first 100 students, I should say, to Mitchell Hall tomorrow night for that game uh, are going to get in free. So take them up on that uh, Take them up on that offer. Take advantage of that. That's a that's a pretty sweet deal. So why act tournament basketball tonight and tomorrow? Drew Kelly of the action both nights at around 7 o'clock. As for right now, we're talking about Brewers baseball. Season, as you just heard our friend Zach Heilprin say on that Wisconsin Sports Zone update, when you get within one game of the World Series, expectations are going to be sky high. I'm not going to say it's World Series or bust, because I just don't think that's a fair thing to put on any team, Super Bowl or bust, or World Series or bust, anything like that. I think we have to enjoy this team for what it's going to be, however it shakes out. But the opening day lineup, I think is, you could probably assume, is going to be Lorenzo Cain, Christian Yelich, Ryan Braun, your three outfielders, one, two, three, Jesus Aguilar, Travis Shaw, Yasmani Grandal, go four, five, six, and then Moustakis and Orlando Arcia at seven, eight. Two crazy things, the more that I've looked at this. Mike Moustakis hitting seven is absurd. And the Brewers, should everything go according to plan, are very lucky to have a hitter and a player of that caliber so deep into their lineup. Yasmani Grandal, I keep forgetting he's on the team. Like, that was such a big story weeks ago when it happened, and so much has transpired since then uh, with not only the Brewers, but a couple of our sports teams that I think we've just forgotten. And maybe it won't feel real until uh, day one of the regular season gets underway. They have a really damn good lineup. So I saw Bill Michaels and Radio Joe pose this question earlier, and I have shamelessly stolen it for the purposes of the Wisco Sports Show. Is this the best opening day lineup the Brewers have ever produced? Now, let's be real. As Brewers fans, we know better than anyone that the competitive teams for the Brewers have been few and far between. I'm only 20 years old in the name of transparency, so I can't go back very far. Now, we were talking about the 2011 roster uh, and how really the only player on that opening day lineup that I would replace on this upcoming Brewers lineup is probably Prince Fielder at first base. And it's not because I have anything against Jesus Aguilar. I just think Prince Fielder in his prime was incredible, and I loved watching Prince Fielder in his prime. Mark Kotze, yeah, that's an easy swap. Carlos Gomez for Lorenzo Cain, if I'm trying to win a championship, yeah, that's an easy swap. Betancourt for RC, I'll take it. Travis Shaw or Mike Moustakis for Casey McGee, I'll take it. Ricky Weeks, uh, certainly I'd replace with, like I said, either Shaw or Moustakis. And Will Nieves catching, yeah, I think I'll take Yasmani Grandal. What's interesting is the the... The only good comparison, I think, after that, you might have to go all the way back to 1982, a team that, of course, I didn't watch. Uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners remember that team very fondly. I know my dad does, and that's one of his favorite teams to talk about. You go back to 1982, Charlie Moore was the catcher. You had guys like Cecil Cooper, Jim Gantner, Paul Molitor, Robin Yount, uh, Ben Ogilvie, Gorman Thomas, Storman Gorman, uh, and Mark Bruhard. Pete Vukovic was the opening day starter, which I just think is a funny side note, given... Uh, how big of a major league fan I am. I, I I don't know. I can't tell you. These aren't guys that I watched. There's highlights that I've seen and stories and books and articles that I've read about that team. I, I don't know. 608-796-2558. We got a couple of minutes left if you want to drop me a line or a text on the five-star telecom talking text line and give me your opinion. I just think this upcoming opening day lineup 
for the Milwaukee Brewers in 2019 is going to kick some major ass. That is a that is a really good starting lineup. And you heard Craig Council talk about it, and David Stearns by extension as well. I don't remember if he specifically mentioned it in his media time in Arizona so far this week. But Craig Council's goal is we want to put together a roster where there is no easy out. Like, and that's that's the makeup of the best baseball teams in in the majors, right? Is you look up and down the roster and you say, man, there's just no easy guy. There's no guy where you, when he comes up to the plate, you say, okay, we can we can kind of take a deep breath, right? I'd say the Cubs are in that club. The Dodgers, the I don't know, I don't know the Yankees very well, but the Cubs and the Dodgers for sure. I think the Cardinals are on their way. The Reds are on their way. And I think the Brewers have, if not arrived, they're as close as they can probably get without seeing more of Orlando Arcia. I have two question marks on this roster, mostly in Jesus Aguilar and Orlando Arcia. I bet if you listen to this show a lot, you'd probably think I'm a hater of Jesus Aguilar. I'm not. And I know his breakout season was fantastic last year. I still have a question whether or not that breakout season was the new normal for Jesus Aguilar or if it was just a flash in the pan. That's something that I'm going to have to see this season play out. But let's say Jesus Aguilar regresses a little bit and Orlando Arcia isn't the hot hitter we saw at the end of last year, but he wasn't necessarily the brutally bad hitter we saw for 80% of the season. He's somewhere in between. This roster is still damn good. This opening day card is still damn good. And I don't think there's an easy out amongst it. Last year, you could probably look at the catcher position, whether it was Manny Pena or Eric Kratz, at least for big stretches of the season. I know they were both hot in portions. And say, okay, we can kind of relax when he's up there. Right, we don't need to worry so much when he is up there. Now, when Jonathan Scope was playing, I think you could say that. When Tyler Saladino or Nate Orff was in the lineup, you could probably say that. Well, they've removed that question mark by bringing back Mike Moustakas. I don't care where they play defense. We're talking about batting right now. Jesus Aguilar, or not Jesus Aguilar, but Travis Shaw and Mike Moustakas are way better batting options than anything else that they have had the last two years on the roster, wherever they end up playing. Neither one of those guys are free outs. Yasmani Grandal is certainly not an easy out. He's one of the best catchers in the majors, both offensively and defensively. His offense is going to be a major improvement from what the Brewers had last year. And Yasmani Grandal is going to be hitting sixth, most likely, unless they swap him and Moustakis. Moustakis is going to be hitting seventh. This is a dude who is a huge piece on a World Series team. I, I just think we got to count our blessings with this Brewers team. Even before the season starts, right? We're comparing them to the 1982 Brewers opening day lineup and the 2011 opening day Brewers lineup. Now, there's a lot of question marks. Who's on your bench? Who's in your bullpen? Of which the Brewers, I'm very confident, but the starting rotation, of course, as well. We're not, we, we haven't talked about and we have not been including pitching in this discussion today, but, but I think it's, it's going to bode very well for the Brewers offensively regarding who's on the mound or regardless of who's on the mound, I should say. And, and this is a conversation we're going to have to continue. I, I have a lot of fun thinking about this. This is a fun thought exercise, comparing them to the 82 team or the 2008 or the 2011 team. Are the Brewers really that damn good? Man, I'm excited. I'm excited. Brewers uh, are getting back in action soon enough, and I can't wait to follow them through spring training and through every step of the way. We're covering some spring training games, so make sure you're checking WK2iSports.com for all of the times and dates of when you can hear those games and hear some Bob Euchre. It'll feel good. Drew Kelly at Mitchell Hall tonight for the start of the WIAC tournament. UWL women taking on Stevens Point. 7 o'clock tip. You can hear that right here on WK2i. As for me, same time, same place tomorrow. Talk to you then.